In today's episode, James King shares his passions about adoption, family, soccer, and being able to volunteer through his work with Pinnacle Financial Partners to make a difference in his community. James, thanks so much for joining us today with this podcast. I'm so pleased and happy to get to talk with you and find out more about you. As we get started with the podcast, would you let the listeners out there know a little bit about who you are and what you do and maybe why you're here today? So again, my name is James King. I uh, am a banker at uh, Pinnacle Financial Partners. Um, I'm a financial advisor, so I work primarily with small businesses. My specialty, I guess I speak Spanish. And so I work with most of the folks at Pinnacle that speak Spanish. Sometimes it's hard for, for people to find uh, help, especially when it comes on the business side in Spanish. And so I kind of feel that need. Other than that, uh, I moved here from Los Angeles about in 1994. And uh, ever since then, I've just been doing a lot of different things volunteer-wise, I guess. And, well, what kinds of things have you been doing as a volunteer? My volunteer experience started when I was a kid um, out in L.A. My parents took us to Ensenada in Mexico uh, once a month where we went to an orphanage and just visited with the children at the orphanage, helped them with a worship service, helped prepare food and serve food uh, for a meal. Our church family went every single month uh, for several years since I was a kid. And so that was where it started for me. It was something that I really enjoyed. I, I was always excited to go every single month. When we had the Northridge quake, in, which was in 94, I believe, our church also got real active in cleanup effort and that kind of thing. And so that was one another thing that I remember as a younger guy. When I came to Tennessee, one of my first memories as far as volunteering here in Tennessee was at a place called Youth Hobby Shop. Uh, it was a tutoring program. So we had a little worship service at the beginning, and then we did tutoring with the kids there. And I did that. Uh, weekly for several years. After that point, I got involved with oh, Interstate Ministries. There we did a worship service. And so we had two separate groups that were bussed in from all over the city. And we just did, we just had real fun uh, singing. And um, we would have uh, churches come in and do skits or plays or things to entertain the kids. See, I led the singing and it just led the, the overall service and coordinated and that kind of thing. So that was a that was another thing. I did that when I was in college at Lipscomb. And I wonder if maybe the pattern that you started then as a young person has continued as an adult because it seems that you're volunteering in a way that I'll say provides a basic life need and then incorporates worship. Is is that a fair assessment? Most of my volunteering especially early on incorporated worship. Does it still? Is that a big piece of a reason for your volunteering? Yeah, I, I definitely want to share God's word as much as possible, but at the very least, I want to be an example of servitude, I guess, and just show that there's people that care. I don't always get that opportunity in all my volunteering, but certainly those volunteer opportunities that have a worship component or the ability to introduce God into it is, is very important. And it sounds like you have numerous other nonprofits, and I definitely want to recognize them too. Can you also describe to us who you are? Do you have a family? What is your life like now? Family is definitely big for me. My wife wanted to have kids right after we got married, and I was trying to hold out as much as possible. I was just like, 
kind of hold off. And I was secretly hoping that she wouldn't like bring it up again. <laughs> but of course, it came up all the time. And uh, so, so eventually, um, we decided it was time. I think I held off about four years or so after we got married before we, we had some kids. But then it completely changed my life. And I always remember everybody told me it was going there, but oh, it's going to And I just was like, yeah, whatever. Sure, sure it will. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is. It's one of those things, man. It absolutely changed my life. And it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. So I had my first son, Jose, then my second son, David. Jose is 14, David 10 right now. Three or four years ago, my wife and I had always had discussions about a way to help kids who needed parents. But we didn't really know what that was. I have an aunt and uncle who adopted kids that were young. And they were, you know, they were great cousins and we still are very close today. But I knew that there was something I wanted to do. I just didn't know what it was. And my wife had mentioned the same kind of thing. Her family had taken kids in in, in Mexico who either whose parents were just struggling and didn't have much time for them. And so they would take them in. But they had that same kind of experience. And so it's probably been four or five years now that I believe God put somebody in, in front of us through my job, a client of mine, actually, who was telling me about how he works with kids and he works putting kids together with parents. And he, I remember him specifically saying, it's the kids that nobody wants. I knew we, we, had, we would be willing to take very, very small kids, including infants. But as I, as I looked into it personally, I found, I mean, everybody kind of wants infants. And I thought, you know, our purpose is not to try to take, you know, infants away from poor families that can't have kids or, you know, or couples that, that are infertile or something. And so I just kind of let that one go and, and went on. But he told me specifically, we pair the kids that nobody wants with parents. And I was just like, man, well, what are you talking about? Nobody wants. And he said, yeah, once they get through a certain age or if they have certain behaviors at that point, it's hard to get people to take them. And I was like, man, that kind of sounds like what we were looking for. And so I went home and had a conversation with my wife, started looking into it. And I believe God put another person in, in front of me as well who, who worked in that area. And she told me a lot about it. She, she works now with Tennessee Kids Belong, or the Division of America's Kids Belong. And she was telling me about uh, some of the things that they do. And all of it revolved around foster care or something similar to foster care. And so my wife and I had a conversation and we decided that that was something we wanted to pursue. And so we started taking the classes and, and got into it and we became foster parents. Since then, we've had about six different kids probably that came through our house before the two that we have now. The two that we have now have been with us for two years. They are 10 and 11. So that's our family now. We've got three fifth graders and then my older son who is a freshman in high school. And I find it interesting to hear the language that you were using a minute ago when you were talking about your visits when you were a child in Mexico. I've heard that there are differences in cultures regarding adoption. You know and have experienced some side, whether it's adoption or fostering or just helping in the orphanage. Can you help us understand any confusion that might be out there? Um, when we're talking about foster care, it's foster care when you're taking somebody in who is a ward of the state for whatever reason that might be. And it, it can be anything, but the gist of it is, is that the children have been removed from their parents' care. But for some reason, again, that can be a lot of different things. But while they're in the state's care, the state places them with foster parents who can take care of them in the meantime while the parents work 
their plan to reunify with those kids. Sometimes that reunification doesn't happen um, for whatever reason that might be. At that point, any person in foster care can has the option to adopt those children. The other way that you can receive children, of course, is through traditional adoption of infants. And of course, that is a lot more difficult because there's a lot of different folks that want to do that, especially folks who cannot have kids on their own because of some biological reason. Um, So foster care is another way that you can start a family if you're unable to, but typically it's going to start with children who are older. It's much more rare to have infants come into foster care and even smaller children. They're very uh, few and far between. In the foster care system in Tennessee, the vast majority of kids in it are actually teenagers. As far as the culture that you mentioned, it is completely different culture and it has really nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with where the child is from or anything. It's just the fact that as a family, you have a culture. And so those kids came from a different family. And so everything they know is different from what they're going to experience in your home. Everything that they've been used to is different. When they get to your home, they also seem very foreign to you because what they're, what is normal to them is, is not normal at all to you. It's a very different culture, but it just takes some time. It just takes some time and it takes love and all of that works out. What do you say to somebody out there who might be either thinking of foster care or potentially also wanting to put just a toe into the water there and maybe volunteer for foster care before they actually become foster parents? You have a couple different options. You can go full in and become foster parents, or you can find an agency that will allow you to do respite care. And respite care is available through agencies for foster parents who just need a break. Sometimes you can bring in some children and it is emotionally taxing on you for, especially at the beginning. And so sometimes you just need a break. You need a weekend of not being with with those children. And so you'll find respite care and you can volunteer or, you know, become a foster parent that does respite for the agency. And that'll give you a week sometimes, or even a weekend or a few days where you'll get to know some children who are in foster care and get to experience them, that kind of thing. I will say that there sometimes is a honeymoon period where uh, when they first get to your house, they want to impress you and they want to, they want it to be a good experience all the way around. And so they're on their best behavior. And two weeks later, it's like, all right, my true colors are coming out. So it can, uh, you can have a little bit of surprise if you're only used to respite care. But I would say that if you're considering it, you always have the option, albeit it's sad to have to say, look, I can't handle this, but you have that option. You know, if you find an agency, they'll take care of you and they'll make sure that you know and understand that ultimately you have to do what's best for your family. Unfortunately, in our case, we had to say one time, you know, we can't do this. It's too much for us because of the way that it affects our our children. And would you mind sharing an example or a story of, I'll say, just a happy time that you experienced as foster parents? No matter what's happened between a child and their parents, a child will never, ever, ever give up that yearning and, and love 
that they have for their parents. And it doesn't matter what their parents have done to them, honestly. And so they're in a situation that they don't deserve and they don't want to be in. Almost always, they don't want to be where they are. They don't want to be with you and they don't want to be in your house. The times that we hear, you know, a comment that a child makes like, oh man, this is so great. I'm so happy to be here. Or it flips out or they just mention something small that you think, you know what, he's, you know, they're, they're, they're glad to be here and, and they appreciate this. And so if you go in and you expect a child to say, to say, oh man, this is, I'm, I'm in such a better place or, oh, I'm so appreciative of what I have here. It just doesn't happen. They will show you their appreciation in some little way that you pick up on. And it's not them actually telling you, but you'll see it. And those are the times that you're just like, I know what I'm doing is, is working. What are those little things that you experienced them saying or doing? So we've got um, brothers, uh, two brothers with us right now. And sometimes you might have one brother who's upset and or he's frustrated and maybe he's frustrated at us or whatever. Maybe he's lashing out and saying something about how it's not fair that he even has to be here or whatever. And, and then I'll hear the other one and he'll just say, well, yeah, but but I really like it here. And maybe you weren't supposed to hear it. Maybe you just heard it because you were near nearby. But those little comments like that. But your sharing where they're coming from puts a, such a different perspective on it. I would have thought that it would have been a good thing for them to, you know, be running to your arms for the first time. But it does not sound like that ever happens or would happen. And that makes sense now that you've explained it. For example, that um, uh, we've got a little boy with us, and, and he, just like uh, at the beginning, especially when they're older, things that are normal between kids and parents, like hugs and that kind of thing, can be very awkward if it feels forced. Or it can be awkward just because they, you know, maybe they'll kind of shrug away from you, um, or, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you know, I'm not cool with that yet. Gosh, I, it took probably a year or so. But now uh, the, the, our younger one, he wants to be near my wife all the time. If he doesn't know where she is, he'll walk all around the house looking for her. I need to know where Miss King is. <laughs> it's gone all the time. I guess that's one of the things that you kind of pick up on. And he's never going to say, you know, that he appreciates it or whatever, anything like that. Can you tell us more about, I'll say, you as a person... Are there any other things that we could know about you to help us fill that picture of who you are in our heads? I try to keep God very near to me, and I try to make my decisions with him in mind, and that's at the core of who I am. Um, That's a big thing for me is to try to have faith and try to let him guide me. I'm, a, I'm kind of a control person as a soccer coach. I've had a lot of leadership positions. And so this control thing has been a control thing, a theme in my life for a long time. And so sometimes it's hard for me to let go and, and have faith. And so that's a that's something that I'm, I'm constantly working on is trying to do that, have more faith. Uh, so that's something that you should know about me. And then, of course, soccer is a, is a big thing for me. And I am very big in, into the benefits that soccer brings to my family and to children. And so uh, that's why I coach and, and that's why my kids play. And it's been a very, very good thing for us. At what point did you decide to let it go and have more faith and just take the next step? 
I think it was when I spoke to the lady who uh, is with Tennessee Alliance for Kids. She was also uh, is very faith faith based, and so just that love that she had for the kids, and it just came through. And so I think that was when we realized I think this is what we were supposed to do, and I think this is God telling us, hey. It's time. It's time to move into the next phase as far as children go. How would you help somebody or what advice would you give somebody who's going through a process and having to learn to let go and have faith? For me, I know when I'm not letting go and having faith because I'm struggling with that thing in my brain and I'm letting it control my thoughts and I keep coming back to it. So that's when I have to say, look, this is happening because God wants it to happen and it's going to happen. So you need to let that struggle go and let him guide you. That's when I know because it'll consume my thoughts and I'll keep coming back to it and I'll think it and overthink it and rethink it. And I know at that point, I know, look, <laughs> it's time. God is, God is telling you, you need to let this go. You need to move on and understand that this was the plan that he had for your life. And then when you do let go and have faith, can you feel that, I'll say, internal battle subside? What happens to you? You have more peace. And, and that's typically how it's been for me. If I let it go and I let God kind of guide me through and I have that faith that, that he's doing that, then yeah, I mean, I have peace in my brain. It doesn't mean that you don't have tough times. It's just that you understand why. And you don't have to, you don't have to give it um, more attention than it really deserves. And as far as the why or the whatever, you just have to know that God was there and it was what you needed at the time. I'm wondering, how do you juggle such a busy work schedule in life with volunteering and your home life? It was rather difficult, especially when um, I was a branch manager because of the constant need for me to be around was there. But I believe that God's always provided me Somebody in the company or somebody somewhere that is helping me through that um, and giving me that opportunity to make it happen. I 100% believe that God's been watching out for me in that area because if not, I, it wouldn't have been able to happen. But uh, it'll be, you know, something will come up and I'll sit down and I'll talk to whoever I need to talk to and say, hey, you know, I've got this opportunity. I want to make this happen. And uh, it's going to mean that. I'll be out during this time, but I can still make the work happen. It just may not happen during this time. And uh, he's always found a way for me to, for, to be able to do that. As my time at SunTrust was coming to an end, it actually, um, the reason it started coming to an end was because one of the things that I had planned and was a volunteer activity and was crucial to, to, to what I do started coming around that, you know, look, we're not going to give you that time anymore. We're going to take that away. And I said, you know, this is something that's been going on for years now. And it was always in agreement. This was able to happen. Well, it's not going to happen anymore. And that's one of those things that I struggled with for a long time. And it was one of those, like I was talking about the internal struggle of my brain. I did that. That one was very difficult for me. And I, eventually I had to say, look, this is happening because God wants this to happen. And that's when I made a phone call to somebody I had worked with in the past that worked at Pinnacle. And 
And that person uh, connected me in Pinnacle. And, and I'm so thankful that I listened <laughs> because it's been amazing. And it, it, with Pinnacle, it's very different. It's less asking that permission to be able to do something like that. It's we expect you to be able to do the volunteer work that you need to do. And so volunteerism at Pinnacle is a very, very different from, from SunTrust. What would you recommend to corporate leaders out there who are trying to figure out what to do in regards to that for their staff, for their employees? I would say that as a corporate leader, they would need to determine whether somebody with a volunteer spirit is someone who they want working for their company. Because if they do, if if that person that has that volunteer spirit is working in a company where volunteerism is not valued, they will not be working there very long. They'll eventually reach a breaking point, even if they do hold out for a while. So if you want the type of people with a volunteer spirit, then you need to find a way to help them make it happen and work with them. Do you know offhand what Pinnacle allows? Like, is it a certain number of days per year or what? With Pinnacle, um, it's so different because they only hire folks who who know really, really well how to how to do their job. The way I can say that, the reason I can say that for sure is because if you haven't been doing what you do at Pinnacle for 10 years, then you cannot be considered for a position at Pinnacle. And so if someone works answering uh, the phone at the 800 number client service line, they would have had to have been doing that for 10 years in their previous employment in order to be able to work for Pinnacle. And so um, because of that, you get folks who know how to say, look, I know I can get this work done and volunteer. And so Pinnacle says, if you tell us that, and we trust that that's the truth and you just do it. It's very, very comforting, and it's been one of the best things that's happened in my life. That's why I'm so thankful that I finally listened to what you know God was telling me. <laughs> so I'm still in that place where I say, okay, I want to do something new. I need to call my manager and talk to him, my leader, and talk to him. And and, it, and it's always he always kind of you know he kind of laughs a little bit. He's like, oh yeah, you can do that. You don't need to ask me every time. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the experience at Pinnacle. So it's very, very appreciated, that's for sure. And um, if anything, it only makes you as an employee want to do that much more. And it makes you want to work harder and it makes you want to, it, it makes you want to deserve what you have. That's terrific. And for those who are curious, it is worth asking your current employer how they are supportive of your personal volunteerism. They might allow you time or days off of work, yet pay you for that up to a certain amount each year, usually, or quarter, depending. And they might also donate a certain amount of money to the nonprofit of your choice for X number of hours that you work or volunteer for them. Definitely, there's always the corporate matching program that is offered in small, medium, and large companies that people don't realize or take advantage of. That's amazing. It makes such a difference for nonprofits. If a person gives, say, $100, but magically somehow because of the company matching, it's $200. And that can really help a nonprofit. So just ask, I think, is the, is the main thing for employees to know. And then also for leaders, I hope you're out there listening to James and what he's saying. 
And James, given what all we've talked about, which has included your volunteerism, your family, your soccer, your foster care life, um, your work, God, what are some parting thoughts that you would like to leave giving people? As I've had times in my life that were uh, difficult or um, it, when I struggled the most or I was down, or I was sad or it was just the hardest parts of my life, volunteerism brought me back. You know, I would always get to this point where I would say, what do I need to do to stop feeling like this? Because it's, I don't know how much longer I can take it. And God always answered me and he said, get out and do my work. And that always got me back. Always. And now I try not to wait until <laughs> those times to take opportunities. But if you get stuck and you're in that, I promise you that um, that God will take some of that hurt away when you're when you're giving to others. And it sounds like that's just an extension of what we were saying earlier of your journey of learning to let go and have faith. Can you speak to that just a little bit again? During those times that have been the hardest for me, I want to think about why or how or what I could have done differently and how it could have been different and how it's not fair and how it's wrong and why um, it shouldn't have happened. Or And I can spend days and weeks and months thinking those thoughts over and over and over again. But God has a way for me to move on. And it usually has to do with letting go and understanding that this was part of God's plan and saying, you know what, the way it happened was the way it was supposed to happen. And nothing else was going to happen, no matter what I did. And so if I let go, God's going to help me through this and he's going to get me to my next step in life. And again, usually that involves me uh, loving my neighbors and in whatever way that was and get that focus off of myself because that's really what it was that whole time is me thinking and contemplating about myself when I, whereas I needed to get out and start thinking about the people around me and putting my time and effort into them. I'm so glad you're living the way you are and that he's putting the path right there for you. I mean, you're just really making a huge difference. And I appreciate your sharing your story with us today. Thank you, James, for joining us today. We're so happy that you were able to share your passion for foster children and all those children out there without parents and frankly, opening our eyes a little bit to allow us to see different ways that we can potentially help as foster care parents or volunteering for the foster care system. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to have me and uh, listen to the things that I have to say here. Doing Good is a 501c3 nonprofit and is run 100% by volunteers. So yes, we are volunteers highlighting volunteers to celebrate those who do good. Would you like to nominate someone to be featured on the podcast? If so, visit the Doing Good website at www.doinggood.tv. Listen to our newest Doing Good podcast episode each Wednesday as together we are celebrating those who do good.